welcome to PhD Paranormals. We're paranormals? <laughs> We're a pair of normals, PhDs. <laughs> Try to figure out how to work technology and then tell you about all the spooky things that are going on in the world. Welcome. I'm Dr. Evan. And I'm Dr. Edwin. And we are off to the races this morning. We, we're having some tough time, friends, with technology. Yes. Um, many deep apologies in a reverberating sound to those of you who listened to last week's reverberating podcast. Well, two weeks ago. But two weeks ago. Well, yeah. We did not know. It sounded fine when we were testing. Um, and then we started getting some messages that were like, uh... Were you in the gym? Well, <laughs> one of our friends, Dr. Dominic, described it as, quote, off-putting. <laughs> <laughs> Which it was. I'm not, he is 100% correct. Well, 99% correct. We're not 100% off putting at any given time. No, no, he said the sound was off putting. Yes, yes. But no, it absolutely was reverby. And, um, and that is because we actually had the reverb on. <laughs> we did. <laughs> we did not know. Again, we are not professionals at this. I mean, I do apologize because I have spent literally $0 learning how to become a sound technician, and it really shows. And I apologize for that. Yeah, we, we this is a uh, a labor of love, just a yes. an office project. A labor of love. <laughs> so it's good to see you folks, or yes. listen to you folks, or hope that you're listening to us. And welcome. We have quite a fun-packed episode today. Two count them two spooky places. Oh my goodness, he's out of control, friends. <laughs> um, one of our delightful patrons sent us um, a twenty-dollar bill, and we have purchased. Plenty of caffeinated beverages with them, and I may have had more than my share today. But I'm ready to go. But but in case that person is listening, and I hope they are, um, he purchased something for him and something for me. Yes, yes. So. We split we split the difference, so yes. to speak. So anyway, um, I have for you, Dr. Evan and our listeners, creepy cryptid upsa- updates. We sa- you said it was a cryptic cryptid oh, update. Oh, well, it's cryptic and creepy, but more cryptic than creepy, I suppose. About cryptids. Yes. Okay. I know you hate yourself some cryptid, cryptids. Some cryptids? I hate cryptids. I'm going to calm myself down. <laughs> I don't hate cryptids. We know my love of Mothman and his derriere. Yes, that is true. I don't know why you don't have the same feelings for Bigfoot. Because he's not real. And okay. And Mothman's not real either, <laughs> but he has a good statue. Okay. Well, I have um, three um, updates for you. <coughs> oh, Sorry, goodness. I tried to I tried Fair to ball. avoid the sneeze. <laughs> Um, three updates for you. One is actually a recording that comes from a small township in Michigan where a woman called 911 to report what she thought were some very strange animal sounds and animals outside of her apartment complex. And she called and she reported that she had seen a chupacabra. Yes, a chupacabra. Not in a, Michigan? In Michigan. Where are the goats? I don't... Well, there's goats in Michigan. I mean, let's be honest. There are goats in Michigan. I don't know if there are goats right outside of her apartment. But she actually called, and I have for you a recording of the 911 police response to... Or the 911 call that was made. So it's going to be a little uh, scratchy, but it is actually very funny to listen to. Really? Would you build apartments to make contact with uh, April? Last name removed. She's reporting an analog that she believes it's possible to be a chupacabra. Six one four seven. Can you go get my phone? 
a chupacabra, sir, she described. I don't know. 2147. There's been a high amount of sightings from those in that area lately, by the way. So, there's been a high amount of sightings for those in that area, by the way, says the police officer. Now, they did go to investigate, and uh, they spoke with the woman, and they checked the area, and they verified that there was no evidence of any strange animals. So, the woman later provided some additional insight into perhaps why she saw the chupacabra. Or she thought she saw a chupacabra? And... She said that she was coming off of using some intoxicating substances. And uh, the deputies did not issue her a citation for the call because she honestly somehow, according to Deputy Green, believed that those creatures were there. So, again, listeners, we've mentioned the chupacabra before, but it is an alleged cryptid or animal that has never really been discovered or recognized by zoologists. It's similar to a Sasquatch, which is real, and Nessie, which is also real. And its name is Spanish for goat sucker because it sucks the blood out of goats. Now, the creature reportedly gained some popularity in Puerto Rico in the 1990s and has since been enmeshed in our supernatural folklore. Um, It's often linked to attacks on livestock such as goats and cattle and has been accused of drinking their blood. Um, And then in Central America and South America, it's described as a short, spiny, bipedal reptilian while in the southwestern U.S., it's more often described as a quadrupedal canid. So, there you go. Well, so, Dr. Ed knows this, that the scratches on my door, I started to hear a noise, which is a cat, for Chupacabra. sure. No, it's a cat. But Chupacatra. <laughs> there's no goats! <laughs> um, so, maybe that, maybe, maybe once in night I'll call. <laughs> They don't really often have intoxicating substances, but, you know, maybe one day it'll be like the chupacabra. Maybe. It could be. So, my other um, number two, Uh cryptid update number two, um, I know that you have uh, strong aversions to believing in Bigfoot and Mm -hmm. Sasquatch, but uh, Sasquatchologists, Bigfootologists, cryptozoologists have discovered a photo of Bigfoot from a Google Maps (laughs) picture. So Google Maps, as our listeners probably know, regularly take photos as they try to map the Earth. This is a Google Earth photo, so it's not Google Maps. So So it's not the car going down. No, it's not the car. It is uh, Google Earth, so big satellite imagery. And they snapped a photo of what they believe is Bigfoot on the Earth. So here is the photo. I will show it to Dr. Evan. You ready? There it is. That is the Bigfoot. Now you can see, like, taking a big stride across this very greenish landscape. And uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, no. <laughs> it looks like someone has, because I don't know, what's that off to the right? We'll post this on the Facebook so you can yes. see what we're talking about. But what's off to the right there? Because if that were true, judging by the scale of that stuff over there, that thing would be like 150 feet tall. Uh, possibly. So one of the things that they have noticed is that it is um, inconsistent in appearances, meaning that they've, they've looked at several different Google Earth shots of these same coordinates, 
and sometimes it's been there and sometimes it hasn't. Which, obviously, Bigfootologists, cryptozoologists, Sasquatchologists have argued that is because Bigfoot is, of course, mobile and moves around, so you're not going to catch it on camera all the time. Um, cynics, and I say that with the greatest amount of disdain, cynics of Sasquatch, are you... <laughs> wow, that is a middle finger coming my way. <laughs> um, cynics of Sasquatch argue that a... Um, even if Sasquatch was mobile, the probability of it being caught at exactly the same coordinates at any given time well, is... Well, and it looks... I mean, it really does. It doesn't look like... So if it's coming from straight down, the way it's shaped, he would be like running off kilter. Like, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Yes. What most people suggest that this is, is actually it's a body of water that sometimes dries up. Sometimes mm. doesn't show up in photos depending upon the angle of the sun. Yes, I could see that. Yeah, you know, and so that's what they suspect. suspect. But, and if that is Bigfoot, it kind of looks like he's wearing a backpack. He might be. Well, you know, sometimes you have to if you're going to carry around your shoes, I guess. Backpack, backpack. Exactly. <laughs> and then, but related to this, and this actually comes from one of our active listeners, one of our patrons, the captain, who actually just sent this to me this morning, coincidentally. Um, it is about 59, I guess it's now... Um, yeah, 59 years ago in Mendocino County, um, which is Redwood Country, a group of small kids came eye to eye with Bigfoot. And so this is sort of a big historic event of the cryptid. Could they be um, eye to eye if they're little? Well, you know, eye to penis, whatever you want to say. <gasps> Ed! Just, well, I don't know how big the kids were. Um, they were a group of kids, so maybe they were tall teenagers. I don't know. But they were following this awful smell. So here's the story very briefly about this. So these children came eye to eye with Bigfoot after they followed this very disturbing smell into the forest while they were on a camping trip. They were spending the night at a place called Cooks Valley Campground in Mendocino County, California, when they claimed to have this interaction with Bigfoot. Now, this is an area at the time that was surrounded by these huge redwood trees and a very dense and empty forest. So the Daily Star, which is a British paper, this story that was sent to me came from the, the mirror, right? reports that the children were playing in the playground at the site when they caught a whiff of a, quote, god-awful smell, which led them to the eight-foot-tall beast. Now, this 1963 sighting has been categorized as a Class A sighting by the Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization, which is a group of amateur investigators who keep track or keep tabs of sightings in the U.S., now, describing the moment the children came close to Bigfoot, the site stated, the children suddenly caught whiff of a god-awful smell, a rank mixture of rotting deer carcass and skunk. The crew followed the stench with their eyes and found themselves eye-to-eye with the legendary Bigfoot. Standing near the tree line, the creature was, creature was eight foot tall and covered in brown hair from head to toe. The children had caught the wild man watching them play standing near the base of a redwood. Now, over the years, there have been multiple reports of Bigfoot in the area of Mendocino County, Recently, as I think in the 2000s, um, a Bigfoot allegedly killed three people on a marijuana farm in Mendocino. So there you go. All the cryptids that you wanted to know about on this recording of PhD Paranormal Friends. What do you think about that? Um, that Bigfoot didn't kill marijuana growers. <laughs> well, maybe they're honing on his business, right? Maybe he was the big... Big weed dealer in the county. I don't think so. I don't think so. You think that he just says no? Too much influence? I don't think he's real. (laughs) (laughs) Too much influence from the Reagan era. All right. But Um, um, I also heard that you have another update for us. This is a Ed heavy morning update. 
Um, but you have an update about your office ghost or demon or something. Well, it's not the demon. I don't believe it was a demon. I believe it is a ghost that is taking up um, residency in our suite here in our building. So um, as many of you may know, I am an early riser. I tend to wake up very early for ridiculous reasons, and I often get to the office around 6.30 or 7. So I'm usually the first person here in the building except for the janitors. So I came in as I normally do, came in, put myself in my office. When was this? Uh, This was last week. Okay. Um, uh, Went to our uh, conference room and got the stuff to make coffee. Opened the back door, walked out through the back door, went and um, went to get the coffee stuff and the water and all that stuff. Came back in, made the coffee, right? Put it, put the grounds in, shut the thing, put the water in, shut the lid down, started to brew, was starting to brew, went back in my office. I was working on something, and it was probably 20 minutes later, I heard this beep, beep, beep. And normally if the coffee, when the coffee's done, it beeps once, but this was like a repeated beeping as if something had gone horribly wrong in the process. And so I walked back, and the first thing I noticed as I walked back is that the back door, which I had opened fully, was shut. Not like casually kind of like pull, pulled partially shut, but like fully shut. Now, I didn't hear it shut, so that was interesting. Now, Gary, our janitor, was here, but he didn't shut the door. He hadn't been in that area, so he said. And then when I walked into the conference room, the coffee was no longer brewing because the um, basket that holds the coffee grounds had popped out, which sometimes it does. If you don't shut it firmly enough, it'll pop out. So that had popped out, but also the lid that closes when you put the water in had also popped up, um, which was causing the whole meltdown of the coffee situation. So I was the only in the suite, so the only thing that could cause that is a ghost. Oh, okay. Yes. It has been proven. Oh, all right. All right. <laughs> as, as language has said before. As language has said before? <laughs> yes. Okay. Sure. So, um... You know, weird things can happen, and, you know, if there's a ghost, I mean, it may have just been, you know... The uh, heat? No, it Not was. the coffee pot, but the, the door could be the heat. Maybe? Well, like, I mean, it's been blast, blasted at, like, 7,050 degrees. Fully, but fully shut and latched. That was the thing. It wasn't like it just kind of... Well, that door closes pretty easily. No, well, maybe. I don't believe you. <laughs> okay. The look I'm getting. No, it's just more like you're, like, nah. I don't. I don't. I want to entertain that there is something spooky in here because it makes my life interesting. Well, it, it, okay. If there is something up here, it's got to be your demon because we've had no other incidents of ghosts other than the one downstairs in Ghost Town, um, which wasn't a ghost, but you know. I think. Sorry, I'm drinking soda, which I shouldn't be doing. Apologies for that. If you picked it up, my. Yeah, because you are a loud drinker. I am a loud <laughs> drinker. Um, but yeah. So anyway, those are. My updates. Cool. I don't. I don't. I don't really have any updates other than the cat that I saw that is now hanging out outside my door. Oh, so it is still around. Oh yeah, it's been it's been there most days. Have I, you been feeding it? No. Oh. So I love cats, friends. Don't um, know why. Because they're delightful and wonderful in every single way. But and I would love to, but I can't. Minions have... Minions of the devil. No, they're not. And I would love to have a cat, but I can't at the place I live. They don't allow pets. And so, no, I have not been feeding it because I don't want to encourage it to stick around. Um, I did call a shelter, like basically a rescue, and they said, and I was like, you know, if you want to, I'll pay for it if you want to, like, come get it and at least um, spay or neuter. Right. Because it's, it's, 
if anyone knows cats, it is crying as if it's in heat. Like, right. that's the kind of sound it's making. Um, and so, you know, I don't want... What I don't want is kittens. But, you know, it's not the greatest place... To, where I live is not a great place to have animals running around outside. Like, I'm scared something's going to happen to right. it. Right. So, they said... They mentioned they are like, well, if it's easy to trap, we'll come out. And I was like, well, I don't know. Right. So, we'll see what happens with that, but... Well, we'll see, friends. I mean, maybe the demon has been messing with my coffee habits. Um, maybe it was one of my students who is annoyed by my over-caffeinated 9.30 lecture. Who knows? So, shall we talk about some spooky things? Yes, and this week is interesting in that there's no theme other than mm. haunting. Yes, we just picked something. We didn't tell each other what we picked, so mm-hmm. we don't have any idea what the other person is talking about. I mean, we do. Like, I have a sense now just because we when we're yeah. mapping up, but I don't know the story at all. Right. So um, I'm going to be talking about a haunted house, okay? And before I talk about that, I do just want to remind listeners, because we are educators and I believe in educating folks, I believe that knowledge is power. So I want to share with you um, the updated seven signs your house could be haunted, according to paranormal experts, just in case, right, in case you're wondering. So obviously, if you hear mysterious sights and sounds, that is a possible explanation. If you find ectoplasm, just ripping off something, that could be something as well. Um, We also know that if you feel like you're being watched, which you had that experience in your Uh home in Indiana. um, No, I had it in my home in Indiana. Oh, Indiana. We named the dog (laughs) Indiana. Um, Some sort of inexplicable movement, objects moving by themselves. Um, Now, you could live in an old drafty house with strong winds, but Inexplicable movements. Now, is this like, um, you know, when you're diagnosed with certain illnesses and you have to meet four of the seven criteria? It is a, it's just a checklist. Do so you have to have all seven? Maybe. I don't know. Okay. It wasn't specific. All right. All right. Um, personality changes of people living in the home. Uh, a normal ghost can possess you, according to some experts. So um, you start to have some distinct personality changes. Um Previous homeowner, so you should always dig into the history of your house to find out what happened. And then the last thing is physical and emotional disorientation. So those are the seven signs that your house might be haunted. And just, again, to keep us fresh and funky, you should remember that there are three types of hauntings that paranormal investigators have identified. One is called an intelligent haunting, where spirits seem to actually interact intelligently with people in the house. There are residual haunt hauntings, which is um, basically a, a place had a fire in it and you like 50 years ago and now you smell smoke, right? That's a residual lingering haunting. And then there are intentional hauntings, which is very interesting because it's about people who put so much energy and intention into believing that their house or an object is haunted that they actually end up manifesting a haunting. So... Just some background information, since we were talking about haunted places again to keep us up to date on these things. Now, what I want to talk about is the Monte Cristo Homestead. Have you ever been to Australia? No. I have not either. I would like to. Um, But there is this beautiful, beautiful homestead that is built in New South Wales, and it is called the Monte Cristo Homesite. Is it because they serve Monte Cristos? No, but Monte Cristo sandwiches are amazing. Best sandwich almost ever. Uh, yeah, I can't quite. I can't quite do it. It's what? a little too sweet. Is it a French toast? 
Is it the ham? Is it the Swiss cheese? Is it the powdered sugar and strawberry jam, yeah, which I is think supposed it, to be served? I think it's that. I think that's what tips it for me. Yeah, I don't usually put the powdered sugar. It usually has powdered sugar on it, but I don't put the jam on it. It's too much. Yeah, I think that's where it tips over. Yeah, but I like the eggy sandwich with the yeah. ham and Swiss. It's very delightful. Yes, okay. When the, the ham is sliced very <laughs> lean. Yes. Um, so at first looks, this is a house that really is a story about success, good fortune, happy people, um, but those looks are actually pretty deceiving, according to reports. Behind closed doors, things happen that really wouldn't stand up to much in the daylight. So it has the reputation of being Australia's most haunted house. Okay. Hmm. So we need to talk a little bit about the history of the Monte Cristo homestead to begin with. It is a beautiful building, and you can just kind of look at the picture right there really Ooh, quickly. Very, uh, uh, um, for... Folks who know anything about Southern architecture, it looks a lot like a plantation home in some place like New Orleans. Yes, yes. Kind of the gabled. Well, know. like the rot, the iron work like they would have in Louisiana and then has the double stacked porch. Yes. Very classic. Yes. So Christopher William Crawley um, was born in 1841 and he died in 1910. He was a farmer who bought two parcels of land in the town Juni on which to build his family home. Now, how far is this? Because New South Wales, I kind of know where it is. Do we kind of know roughly where, um, like, if, is it close to anything, or is I it really out I there? I didn't really look. Because homesteaders would be pretty far out, yeah. but. It's, I think it's close by because it was, well, you're going to hear part of the story. Um, it was ended up being along the Great Southern Ra- Railroad okay. stop. Okay. Okay. So, the Crawleys struggled their first few years. Life in Australia is hard and harsh. Because everything wants to kill you. Um, yes. They lived in the slab hut, and Christopher often had trouble feeding his family, so they really struggled. But his fortunes changed in 1878, because in 1878, the Great Southern Railway, Railway Line opened. So what he did is he took all the money he could scrape together, and put it in a pool, and he bought a license to build the railway hotel. Okay. Okay, right opposite the soon-to-be-open railway station. Now, this was incredibly smart. Um, and the village of Juni, um, which prior to that point had only consisted of a few scattered slab huts, now the village of Juni consisted of only of the railway hotel, the railway store, and then the slab huts. So because of this hotel... Crawley became incredibly rich. Okay, it, the village profited because of the travelers, the agricultural trade that was moving through. And he became so rich, at some point, he even became one of the town's official founders. He was loved for being a very generous man with a huge sense of civic responsibility, much like my good friend Archibald, right, who was murdered. Um, this all sounds as if the Crawleys were amazing people, and so if the Crowleys were such amazing people, why is the place haunted? That's kind of the question. So let's take a closer look. Okay. Okay. Let's talk about the build of the Monte Cristo homestead. So prior to the construction of the new homestead, which was built in 1885, okay, the father and the mother and the seven children lived in this small brick cottage. The original slab hut was demolished and turned into a stable for his prized horses, for Crowley's prized horses. And then the small brick cottage, which was also referred to as the original homestead, actually still exists. And that house was turned into servants' quarters. Then the new home, which was this two-story house built in the late Victorian style, Mm -hmm. 
became the ultimate status symbol, and it was built on a hill that overlooked the entire town. So again, beautiful house, lots of space, servants' quarters, right? Barns for horses, life is amazing. Well, the Crawleys, even though they were very successful, didn't have the happiest of life. So um, Crawley um, died in his own homestead. Okay. okay. He died on December 14th, 1910, from a combination of heart failure and blood poisoning. Oh. Now, he got the blood poisoning because he had a carbuncle on his neck and it got infected from rubbing up against his starch collar all the time. And if our readers or listeners, our readers, if our listeners <laughs> don't know what a carbuncle is, it's basically when you've got multiple boils and they kind of like form together and it's like a massive. Yes, becomes almost like a second head. Yeah, and it's and it's really deep often. So yes. it's like a really bad infection. So he died from that. His wife, Elizabeth Crawley, had an incredibly difficult time emotionally and mentally coping with her husband's death. So she actually ended up locking herself inside the house. She spent most of her time up in the attic where she had built a very small chapel. Aww. And in her remaining 23 years, she left the house only twice. And she died at the age of 92 um, on August 12th, 1933, due to a ruptured appendix. Mm. So she suffered quite a bit. Like the infamous, perhaps, Sally. Yes. So the last member of the Crowley family left the house in 1948, and the house actually remained empty and vacant for over a decade. There were several caretakers at the house trying to keep an eye on the property, but they couldn't prevent the house from being vandalized. Um, all the original furnishings were eventually taken out of the house and sold, and it was in a poor and failing dilapidated state until the Monte Cristo homestead was bought by Reginald and Olivia, or Olive, sorry, Ryan in 1963. Okay. Now, the Ryans must have had some money. I don't know where their money came from, but they took it upon themselves to restore the homestead back to its original state. So they turned it into a museum um, for tours, and this should be a sign that these people were whack jobs. I don't know if they were whack jobs or not. <laughs> but aside from wanting to turn the house into a museum, they also included a doll museum. And that's just messed up, right? That's just messed up. You bring a bunch of dolls into a place, you're just asking for trouble. That's what I think. You know, oh, I, I don't like dolls. I mean, too many Barbies, that is not a happy Okay, party. first of all, no. Barbies are fine. It's, um, it's when dolls have realistic-looking eyes. Yes. That they get really creepy. Yes. And um, sister of the um, podcast, my sister, who also really hates dolls, will understand that, yeah, Doll Museum is inviting, it's inviting Annabelle to come right. yeah. visit. It is an invitation for bad things. Um, they also have an antique store in the house as well. Okay. Um, Reginald died in 2014. Olive is, at the time of my information, which is about 2021, I think, uh, was still alive. Okay. okay. Going strong. Now, they went, when the first went into the house, according to their stories, with their belongings, which included their cat and their dog, mm -hmm. okay, neither of the animals would go into the house. Right. Okay, they all just, none of them would cross the threshold, so they had to carry the animals in. And then, in fact, um, once they carried them in, they turned around, they bolted, and the animals ran away. Okay? They just ran away. Which is not good in Australia because no. lots of things are going to kill them. Yeah, chompity chomp chomp, snack snack, as they say. Oh, yeah. And later then, when they had been out for the evening, um, when they came up to the house coming home in the evening, all the lights were on when they approached the house. 
But when they opened the front door, the lights all shut off in the house. The house just went dark. Mm. So some creepy initial things happening. But let's talk perhaps about ghosts. How do you feel about that? I would love to talk about ghosts. Because there are reportedly upwards of at least 10 ghosts that reside in the Monte Cristo homestead. And some of them are much more prominent than others. Um, But one thing for sure, um, some ghost um, clearly hates animals. So whoever this ghost is... Needs to get the They must have hated animals in the real life because they clearly hate them in the afterlife. Get out, Mr. Ghost. Um, When the Ryans came home one night, um, they found all their chickens um, strangled to death (gasps) in their poultry run. So not attacked by animals. but No, because if they're in their poultry run, they should be protected. Again, if listeners don't know what a poultry run is, it's basically where the chickens can roam relatively free. um, But But it's it's protected. Yeah, it's not free range. Yes. Um, so they found all their chickens strangled to death in their poultry run. Their parent, or not their parent, sorry, their parrot was found choked to death in its cage. Oh. And then there was a litter of kittens that they were raising oh, no, in no, their no. breakfast room that they found brutally killed. Okay, no details provided. Oh. Um, so who are these ghosts? Well, there's all sorts of questions. Um, they do believe that there are ghosts of the Crawley family still there. So Christopher Crawley, the guy who built the house, um, they argue, or it's been rumored, that his ghost haunts the room in which he died. Um, but his spirit is very kind, so people who are in this room will often feel a presence, but that presence is very like kind and caring and reassuring and supportive. So not, so not a bird murderer? Yeah, not a bird murderer. Okay. And um, his wife, on the other hand, who... Uh, wasn't particularly nice in life and was very um, clearly unbalanced by her husband's death in her last years, um, is also in the house, but she still seems to believe that she is the mistress of the house. And rumors say that she judges everyone who enters into her house and that she doesn't like you. She tries to scare you, um, usually with ice cold air kind of blasting onto your skin. Right, feels very beetle juicy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Scare um, them to keep, so you can keep a hold of your house. Exactly. The afterlife, the bureaucracy. So Christopher and Elizabeth, his wife, um, still reside there as ghosts, so the stories go. But there's also the ghosts of two maids that live in this house, reportedly. So obviously everyone thinks Christopher is an upstanding guy, but rumor is is that he is not. Um, the story goes is that he has gotten two of his maids pregnant when he was alive. Uh-oh. And then one of them committed suicide oh, no. um, because she jumped from the balcony. She jumped to her death from the balcony, and she was pregnant when she did it. She hit the stairs and was instantly killed. So they say her ghost still haunts the veranda. Um, you can see this kind of present. And that there's a ghostly bloodstain that sort of marks the spot on the veranda where she kind of met her end. Now, the second pregnant maid actually gave birth to the son, to a son. She named him Harold. And when Harold was a young boy, he was involved in a terrible accident on the premises. He was hit by a coach. Um, He survived the accident, but he sustained head trauma, which disabled him for life. And so the poor boy was actually kept in chains in the coach room. Oh, my God. Local children would mock him because oh he would God. he would scream all day. 
they called him a monster, and the children of Juni uh, challenged each other to find him and pester him. He was eventually um, sent away to an asylum um, as he was found by the authorities, chained to his mother's bed. Um, she had passed away, you know, so he was chained at her bed. Oh, and her, God, his, her I don't dead like body this at was all. There. Um, he died at the asylum, but it says his ghost still haunts the ground of the homestead. Um, because often you'll hear the sounds of rattling chains, like you know something trying to break chains or yeah, tie on the chains. Oh my god! Now the coach house is reportedly haunted by a young stable boy named Morris, and the story goes something like this: Morris didn't feel well one day and decided to stay in bed at the coach house. Um, the coach house master didn't approve of the fact that the boy slept in. So he decided to teach him a lesson. And how do you teach a young boy that sleeping in is bad? Well, this person thought the way you do this is you set his straw mattress on fire. I mean, that makes complete sense. Thinking that he would jump up and get to work. But uh, Morris was too ill. He couldn't get up and he died in the bed. He burned to death. Well, because it's going to go up real quick. Um, And people still hear screams coming out of the coach house. Like someone is being burned. Um, there's also the ghost of Ethel Crawley. Um, Ethel Crawley, she was the granddaughter of Christopher and Elizabeth Crawley, and she died in 1917 okay. because a nursemaid dropped her down the stairs. So she was being carried, and the nursemaid dropped her. Now, the nursemaid claimed that she was pushed by an unseen force. Okay. And that something pushed her, um, but she wasn't believed. So today, the children who visit the museum, um, when they're around the stairs, become incredibly irritable. They become upset. They start acting out. Some guests say that they feel as if they're being pushed on their backs when they're on the stairs. And some claim, and this actually really made me sad and also creeped me out at the same time, they claim that when they start to walk up the stairs, they feel this very cold, tiny hand slip into theirs as if someone's holding on to them. Oh, I don't like that. There's also um, the ghost of Jack Simpson. Jack Simpson is one of the most recent ghosts. He was one of the home's caretakers. Okay. And at some point, um, again, that's the language used, he was shot to death in 1960 on the porch of the house by a young man. So he was killed by a young man on the porch. The man had been watching Alfred Hitchcock's movie Psycho uh-huh. all day. Um, watched it three times before committing the crime. Jeez. And he had written or carved onto the shed door the words, Die Jack, ha ha, um, where they can still be seen today. So this caretaker, um, Jack, is still there. And of course, there are all sorts of reported ghostly haunt or ghostly happenings. So lights still come on and off. Guests experience that feeling of nausea that happens, um, overwhelming sadness in certain parts of the house. Um, some people have been reported as having fainted during the ghost tours as well. There are all sorts of disembodied whispers and unexplained mists at the house. And photographs reveal orbs all over the place. And of course, I am, as much as I want to believe in the supernatural, very suspicious of orbs because orbs are usually reflections of dust, you Mm -hmm. know, capturing light. But you never know, right? Yeah. 
And there has been reported some poltergeist activity as well in the house. So there's lots of stuff going on. The house itself has been featured on several famous television shows. Uh, many of these are Australian. So Green Scream Test, Ghost Hunters International, My Ghost Story. If you happen to find yourself in New South Wales, you can go and actually visit the Monte Cristo. It it's, is open yeah. as, a ho- as a museum. There's a ghost tour, and you can actually spend the night here. It's pretty far out. I was looking. It's pretty far from Canberra. Um, and it's quite far from any place else. So, yeah. I mean, it's out there. You would have to be, it would be a destination yes. vacation. Correct. Um, but that's a lot of, a lot of really unfortunate things and some very sad things and reflects some of the brutality of sort of life in that early part of Australian colonization and settlement and all that stuff. Um, there were just some cruel people there who did some horrible, horrible things. So that is my ghostly story for the day. Well, it was a, it was, it was, it was a doozy. It's a tough one. Yeah, the little kid hand that would probably freak me out the most, and then the the burning screams, like being burned alive, just well, sounds and then that awful. poor kid in the chain. Ugh. Yeah, being chained up and you know mocked, and then your mom dying, you're still chained up and sent to an asylum. Horrible, horrible. Mm. So what do you got for me? I have a much more lighthearted right. um, story because the name makes me laugh. Yes, so we are talking about the Fister, P-F-I-S-T-E-R, Fister Hotel in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Have you ever been to Milwaukee? I have been to Milwaukee. I have not been to Milwaukee. I hear it's... Um, it's nice. Yeah. I like them. It's, it's, I mean, it's got kind of a growing reputation for violence right now, um, but there's a lot of that in the U.S., I like how you take it there, and I'm just like, it's nice. <laughs> <laughs> My experience in Milwaukee only comes from Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley. And rest in peace, Cindy Williams, who just died oh. last week. And you're sad. She played uh, uh, Shirley yeah. on Laverne and Shirley. Oh. So we still have, there's only one of those four people still alive, and that's Michael McKean, or McKean, or however you say his name, mm-hmm. who played Len- S. Lenny. Okay. I, I was calling him Squiggy, but there you go. All right, well. Fun facts, just in case you play trivia this week, folks. Sure, but the Fister Hotel is, hey, you've got to stop because this is this man's name. Got it. I'm, <laughs> I'm there with you. I'm there. Um, so this story starts in the 19th century with a German immigrant businessman named Guido Fister. Guido. Yeah, it's interesting. I looked it up because I was like, that's. Doesn't doesn't strike me as German. Strikes no, me as but Italian. apparently, but apparently, it is. There is a number of Germans named Guido. Yeah, maybe he's. Is there a place where no German doesn't touch Italy? Does it? No. No, because there's that thing called Switzerland, right, in the middle of it. Hey, I just found out that the Lake of the Ozarks is not in the boot heel of Missouri. It's like in the middle of the state. I mean, have you heard of the nation of Austria? No, I just <laughs> um, somewhere. <laughs> Um, Nicole is screaming our friend, our friend who you know did the podcast episode with uh, with her husband Dom. Anyway, um, Guido had come to the United States in Milwaukee, and he had become famous because he had a tannery business called the Guido Fister Tanning Company. So tannery is leather, yes, finishing mm-hmm. hide finishing, and then he later renamed it the Fister and Vogel Leather Company. Okay. And it was the largest leather goods distributor in the Midwest. So Vogel was a partner that bought in? I'm assuming. Okay. Doesn't really say, because yeah. Vogel is not important to our story. Okay. Um, and he became a pretty successful business leader, and he was interested in um, tourism. 
Because by the time we get to the late 19th century, tourism is starting to become a thing. Like people right. travel to visit places. Right. Um, and Milwaukee was a pretty, you know, a pretty nice bigger town in the Midwest at the time. So what he decided is that he wanted to create a hotel in downtown Milwaukee that would attract people from across the United States. They, they would travel to see the hotel. Oh, okay. Destination vacation. Again. Yep. Um, and so with the help from his son, Charles Pfister, Guido began to, you know, kind of set the plan in motion in the 1890s. So Guido was apparently not a family name. I mean, if so, there's not a junior, but Guido and Charles. Um, so what they did is they built a multi-story hotel that dominated at the time the Milwaukee skyline. It is rather beautiful. Okay. It right well, now the hotel looks weird because, as we'll talk about, some turd decided to build a tower, like later on, right. and it um, mars what it looks like. Um, I'm going to show tell you the sentient turds. They are problematic. I'm going to show Dr. Ed a picture of it. Okay. So he can see the. The hotel that he can't stop chuckling at. Yes. Well, also Guido just makes me laugh. No offense to any Guidos who are listening. I think it is a fine name. It's funny that he's German. So that's the hotel. Oh, yeah. And then that thing is the abomination. Oh, so kind of like 1960s-ish edition. Yeah. Exactly. Very common. There's something like that um, at one of the hotels in Duluth as well. They added that kind of round tower. It actually has a rotating dining room in it. So you can rotate around and get a view of not only beautiful Duluth, but also the lake that is oh so superior. Okay. Well, we're not there yet, though. <laughs> right now it's just a multi-story square, you know, like square, rectangular, I don't know, um, hotel. Okay. Lovely. But they had sought the uh, assistance of the architect Henry C. Cook, or Coke, I don't know how he pronounced his name. And so what he de- designed was a Romanesque revival facade. Okay. And then inside, they did all kinds of stuff. Fancy pants. Yes. Um, and the Fisters spent over $1 million at the time building the hotel. So what is that in real dollars? What's that in real money? When was it, when was it built? So, well, it's been throughout the 1890s, but it's finished in 1893. All right. So $1 million was, I'm quicking to the internet. Uh, not so quickly as I could quickly quick. Well, I'll keep talking because the building was one of the uh, most. Oh, he's thirty-two million nine hundred seventy-seven thousand four hundred forty-four dollars. Um, it yes. was an expensive hotel at the time. Yes. Um, and the building was really interesting because they were using all sorts of um, progressive era changes in buildings. So, for example, the building had fireproofing. Mm. It was fully electric. Every room had electricity. Um, they had thermostat controls in every single guest room. Ooh. So, like, you could control your own heat and cool. Don't believe the hype. I have a thermostat in my office. It does nothing. Well, at the time, it would have mostly just done heat. But in Milwaukee, that's pretty important. Um, it also had a formal dining room, a gentleman's lounge, and two billiard rooms, one for women and one for men. Sprite, hoochies, get your own room. <laughs> Sorry, I was channeling a friend, my friend Richie Bassway. He often referred to women in the 1800s as hoochies. I don't know. Keep going. All right. There's a look of puzzlement on her face, which is completely understandable. 
But um, Charles Pfister was also a huge art collector, like a massive art collector. And so he filled the hotel with his own art collection, which was also valued in millions of dollars. He had, I mean, he had even like Renaissance art. I mean, he had a lot of art. And so the construction ended in 1893, and it was called the Pfister Hotel and was the, one of the largest and nicest hotels in Milwaukee. Coincidentally, that's roughly in the same time as the Monte Cristo home set was built. Oh, interesting. Um, unfortunately, it took a little while for them to really make a profit, um, but they were kind of expecting that just because of trying to get people in. Um, eventually, though, because it is so beautiful on the inside, I mean, it is gilded within an inch of its life. It's got murals. I mean, it's very lovely. Have you it's, actually been there? No, but I was looking at oh, pictures. Okay. Um, and it did become a vacation hotspot, and it was nicknamed the Grand Hotel of the West. And true to Guido in particular, his desires, um, very rich customers began reserving rooms inside the building. Um, for example, one of the first events that the hotel ever housed was a massive convention of the Wisconsin Republican Party. Ooh. They were probably progressive back in the day. Yeah, though. they were the, yeah. This is, not, they're not your contemporary Republican. That is correct. In Wisconsin. That is correct. I um, mean, Charles Pfister actually becomes the head of the Republican Party later oh, wow. in Wisconsin. Mover and a shaker. Yeah, he had a lot of power. He also had a railroad monopoly. A, a what? Railroad monopoly. Oh, I, I heard werewolf and I was like. That is quite a monopoly. You know, stop making fun of me in my earth. And <laughs> um, um, President William McKinley stayed there in 1897. Okay. So within, year, I mean, just a few years. Speaking got, of corruption, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Charles Pfister actually began operating it totally on his own in the early 20th century. Like okay. his father sort of gave it up. And he lived in the hotel. And he continued running the hotel. Um, he even, at the height of Prohibition, opened a pub called the English Room, where he concocted a house specialty named Indian Punch. Oh, dear. Terrible name. I don't know what's in the punch. Oh, interesting. Um, and then it became a huge hit, and he actually began bottling it, and it okay. got sold throughout the country. Unfortunately, um, he suffered a pretty massive stroke in the 1920s um, and was paralyzed or partially paralyzed due to the stroke. Um, and he couldn't live there anymore. And so he ended up selling it to a colleague named Ray Smith. And Smith, interestingly, had started as essentially like a janitor okay. inside the hotel and had worked his way all the way up to being like the manager. Of the hotel. And so he ended up selling it to Ray Smith. Um, in the 1960s, it was purchased by a guy named Ben Marcus. Okay. He started basically, you know, trying to restore the interior of the hotel. Because, you know, after 60 plus years, it was getting a little rundown. Um, and then he also provided the addition of a new 23-story guest room tower. Which, again, I don't like, but it's very 1960s. And at the top of that is the a bar called the Crown Room, which became, according to this document, the, quote, premier nightclub of Milwaukee. Hmm. So I wonder what it is. Sorry, brief interruption. I wonder what it is about very wealthy businessmen who 
tanning or whatever um, who decides that they just suddenly want to build a hotel. Because the same thing, like Simon Benson did that mm-hmm. in Portland. He was a lumber baron. He's like, I want to build a fancy hotel that everyone will love forever. And now he haunts a hotel. So Well, and then in this case, you know, Fister, I mean, he had a ton of money. Right? He was very wealthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Fister eventually died. Um, unfortunately, he had a series of strokes after that first so one. So Charles. Charles, sorry. Um, I don't remember when Guido died. But um, he's, he had suffered a stroke in 1927 that had left him partially paralyzed. Um, and then he ended up suffering a series of other strokes. And he ended up dying of pneumonia later in 1927. Oh, that's unfortunate. Um, at his sister's house. Because gotcha. he couldn't... Um, from what I could gather, he was not really able to care for himself after his sure. stroke. Um, and so... He had to have someone take sure, care of him. Sure. Well, nothing really dramatic happened at the Fister Hotel. We don't have reports of anyone dying at the hotel. Um, Fister, you know, Charles did not die at the hotel. There weren't any dramatic, like, murders or suicides Murder. or anything like that. But what's interesting is that the Fister Hotel has become well known for haunting Major League Baseball players. Oh, so, a lot of Major League Baseball players, teams, when they come to Milwaukee to play the Brewers, they stay at the Fister Hotel. And what has happened over time is that MLB players have talked about hauntings. Right. So many have talked about it. And I have some of them okay. talking about their experiences. All right. Um, because we don't see a lot until we start to hear from baseball players. Okay. So, for example, this is a story from uh, a player named Michael Young who had played for, like, the Texas Rangers and the Phillies and the Dodgers. Okay. And he said, quote, Listen, I'm not someone who spreads ghost stories, so if I'm telling you this, it happened. A couple of years ago, I was lying in bed after a night game and I was out. My room was locked, but I heard these footsteps inside my room stomping around. I'd heard all these stories about this hotel, so I was wide awake at this point. And then I heard it again, these footsteps on the floor. So I yelled out, hey, make yourself at home, hang out, have a seat, but don't wake me up, okay? After that, I didn't hear a thing for the rest of the night. I just let him know he was welcome, that we could be pals, and that he could marinate in there for as long as he needed to, as long as he didn't wake me up. Right. Um, Another Phillies player named Bryce Harper. In fairness, I'm likely to believe him. He had a very good batting average in his career, bat 300. It's pretty good. Okay. Well, this is a Phillies player named Bryce Harper, who was the 2015 NL MVP award winner. Oh. So, take that with what you will. What was his name again? Bryce Harper with a Y. Harper, yeah. And according to him, he was staying there in 2012, and he had laid out his shirt and pants on a table by the end of the bed before going to sleep for the night. And he reported that when he woke up, everything, the clothes were on the floor, the table was on the opposite side of the room against the wall, and he was pretty freaked out, and it seemed like somebody had been in his room, and he went and he looked, and you know how in modern hotels, it's not just that the door locks when you close it, but you can also, like, latch it and do various, you know, additional um, ways to lock it from the inside, Mm -hmm. and all of those things were still locked. Okay. And so then he thought it could have been a teammate that was playing a joke on him because... They are pranksters. Well, and also they all know that it's allegedly haunted, so it could be. But he was like, but they couldn't have gotten in because it was 
he had like the deadbolt and all of that. So like even if you had the key card, it wouldn't right. open. Right. Right. And so then he basically yelled at his team. It was like, who's playing jokes on me? And they were like, no one. And so he asked to change rooms. Okay. Um, others have reported just feeling like someone's looking at them. So these guys, because they're professional players, are staying in rooms by themselves. Right. Right. Um, and they just report that someone is staring at them or they feel like somebody is um, walking around in there. Um, but some have reported actually seeing something. Mm-hmm. So um, one of this is a Pittsburgh Pirate player named Ji-Man Choi, who is a South Korean player. And um, he uh, currently, uh, or at the time of this, played for the Rays. He had been a brewer for a short time. And he was in town in 2016, and he was sleeping, and he said, like, he couldn't sleep well. Like, he just felt unsettled. Harper. (laughs) <laughs> that was me last night. Um, but he said, like, no, like, it just felt like there was something there. And he said he was laying there, and he felt a spirit crawl up behind him to hug him. And then he felt like a spirit whispered in his ear. All right. Number one, spirit, consent, consent. No hugs without consent. That is correct. Yeah, that is just, that's rule one. And then one of my favorites has to be with a few players, Um this play. This is Carlos Martinez and mm-hmm. Marcel Ozuna, and they in 2018 were there with the Cardinals, and they posted actually a video to Instagram in the middle of the night because they were freaked out. And in Spanish in the Instagram video, Carlos Martinez says, "Quote: We are here in Milwaukee. I just saw a ghost in Ozuna's room. He saw another one." So both of these guys are reporting that they saw a ghost in their room. And he says, "We are all here. We are all in Pinita's room, which is Francisco Pena's." He says, we're all stuck here together. We're going to sleep together. If this ghost shows up, we're all going to fight it together. (laughs) (laughs) And apparently Martinez refuses to stay at the hotel. Oh, really? He won't stay there anymore. Um, And that's the whole video. It's basically them, like, freaked out on this Instagram video being like, there's a ghost. (laughs) If they show up, we're going to fight him. Fight him. I wonder what the strategy was, right? Um, You know, I wonder how they're going to scooby-doo their way out of that. I don't know, but... A lot of them report that they just feel like the house, that the hotel is really creepy. So Giancarlo Stanton, who played for the Marlins, said, he goes, quote, Man, I hate when we have four games there. Two, three, anything's better than four. I'm going to cuss, friends. Okay. He says, it's freaky as shit. With those headshot paintings on the wall and the old curtains everywhere, it reminds me of the Disneyland haunted house. All right, and in fairness, that is scary. Um, I speak from personal traumatized, traumatic experience. That the so yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, another out. player, when asked about it, said, "Quote: Oh f that place." <laughs> <laughs> um, Justin Upton from the Braves said, "Quote: From the minute I walk in there, I'm freaked out. The whole place, the creepy lights on the side, everything." I have to sleep with the blinds open and the lights on. Next time I'm finding another hotel and I'm paying for it on my own, wow. I cannot sleep there. Well, there you go. That is um, something. Yeah, Pablo Sandoval from the Giants reported that in 2009 he went to take a shower and he had sat his iPod down next to a speaker. So, for the youngins out there, an iPod was a thing that would play your music for you. Oh, sweet Chivas. <laughs> well, they don't know anymore. <laughs> yes. Um, and when he came out, it was playing music, and he didn't know why. Um, and he 
left the hotel because it freaked him out that bad. And he was like, I didn't want to stay there. And then in 2010, he and another player named Edgar came back and they stayed down the street and paid for it on their own. And he then decided again, like in you know the 2020s, to try and stay there. And that time he walked into the hotel and he asked to let them sleep and nothing happened. Um, others have reported like the lights flickering on and off, lots of things with electronics. It's mm-hmm. so, like electronics playing, like the alarms going off, yeah, right. like trying to turn stuff off. Um, and they, a lot of them report if you ask them to stop, then it stops. Hmm. Um, a There's... couple of people have reported just feeling generally gross. Like, kind of like you were talking about that uneasy feeling, yeah. that nauseous feeling. And again, these guys are professional players. They're not, like, feeling that way because they're nervous about a game right. or something like that. Like, they're saying it just is, like, ugh. Um, but a lot of them have reported that a lot of teams don't like going there. Right. And it's become kind of a joke among, like, Milwaukee Brewers fans <laughs> about them staying there. And again, they're staying there because it's a really nice hotel. It's very pretty. Mm-hmm. It's been very well kept. It's very nice. So it's not like they're, you know, shoving their players into... Motel 6. Yeah. Um, but some No of offense, them, Motel no, 6, if you're someone, choosing a sponsor. No, us. someone came... I think somebody went. I can't remember who. It might have been Gomez. I think they went to a Motel 6 well, down the street. Leave the light on for you. It was basically like, F this, I'm going. But the ghosts are leaving the lights on for you anyway, so why would that make a difference? Um, but they've just talked about, like... All of them have talked about that I've seen here, just like, Ugh, I just don't like it. Right. Like, I don't like the way I feel there. Uh, things happen there. A couple have reported, the ones that have seen ghosts have said it looked like kind of a bald or heavyset man. Mm-hmm. And Charles Fister was is he a balding, balding? heavyset man. Huh. Um, I'm going to show. I wonder if Charles Fister hated baseball. Well... So Charles Pfister was a, he just loved Milwaukee mm-hmm. and loved Wisconsin. And so some people joke that um, we don't have great pictures of him, but that's what oh, he looked okay. like. Yeah. Um, and he he's not really that bald, but he's got very blonde hair. Right. So, you know, especially if you're right. seeing a ghostly. A wispy, ghostly. Yeah. But they all say that like, nobody feels like. It's attacking them. No sense of unsafety. Well, I mean, like, they don't like it. But, like, nobody's been attacked. Nothing bad has happened other than creepy stuff. Right. Um, And so most people who talk about the hotel being haunted think it's haunted by Charles. Um, But, again, Charles didn't die there. Right. So if he's haunting it, who knows? Right. Um, But, I mean, he lived there until, like, the last months of his life. Yeah, and probably a great sense of his work and attachment, self-value, is embedded in that. Well, that's that's where where he did all his work. It's probably made of limestone. I don't think it is, but you never know. Um, But I just find it so amusing that it's mostly baseball players. Right. Though, Megan the Stallion, right, the rapper and singer, Mm. stayed there. And she heard it was haunted, and so there are some Instagram videos where she and her team went ghost hunting throughout the hotel. <laughs> they didn't really find anything, but it's right. pretty amusing because she's like in her stage gear, and they're like traipsing around the hotel, <laughs> like trying to find ghosts. Nice. Um, and she's like, "I heard it was haunted, like so I'm trying to find some ghosts." But it is jokingly like known as the most haunted hotel in Milwaukee, particularly for baseball players. Well, there you go. So if it is Charles Fister, they think they're he likes to haunt it and taunt. 
them and make them lose. Like, right. kind of like a hometown pride. Like, right. let's make sure Milwaukee wins. Right. Because, um, again, nothing terrible happens. But a lot of players won't stay there anymore. Right. They they won't stay with their team, which is weird. Right. Most of the time, teams like to stay together. It's, you know, part of camaraderie and all that. But they will stay in other places. Well, that's a home run of a story. Oh, no. <laughs> but it is a little bit more lighthearted than... Yes, than, yes the Monte Cristo... <laughs> Yes. Um, but yeah, if you're ever in Milwaukee, it's really pretty. All right. Very interesting. Well, listeners, that is our two spooky stories of the day. Of course, we are always willing to and wanting to and waiting to talk about your stories or the things that interest you. We do try to keep tabs on the ones that come in. We do try to be responsive to that. So you can always let us know via our Facebook page or our email account phdparanormal at gmail.com, which we should probably check at some point. Not that there's probably something sitting in there, but... No, Facebook's probably the easiest way. Yes, yes, because we have multiple emails that we have to check every day for work, and it's just tedious. Yeah, and we still have, you know, we're talking about that special episode. We're still trying to get that happening. Um, The psychic. Yeah, and uh, there's also somebody who, on my Facebook, I won't reveal any names, of course, was talking about some incidents at their home. So I'm going to see if they are interested in either talking to us or letting us share what they have experienced. That might not be the case at all, right. but hey, if that works, cool. And of course, as always, we do need to thank our delightful patrons because they're the ones who keep me caffeinated and keep Dr. Evan sane. I'll say you over-caffeinated. Oh, uh, well, you know, <laughs> uh, you do what you got to do. And me just caffeinated. Yes. Enough. Um, so, uh, this week we'd like to give a very special, special deep thanks to the Ghost Whisperer. Um, yes, thank you. For their very I'm generous... In, I'm uh, enjoying a delightful Coke Zero. Their very generous contribution. Um, and, of course, we also have the Gypsy Queen and... The Captain. We have... Um, we Two weeks ago we talked about a new patron. Ooh, new patron. Spooky. So, okay, Dr. Ed is doing that because he played for me some funny sounds earlier of <laughs> ghosts, and it was it was absurd. We're going to add the one on the outro just for funsies. <laughs> um, and this person who bought us, you know, wrote us a very lovely note, bought Dr. Ed a Diet Dew, me a Cherry Coke Zero, would like to be called the bootlegger. The bootlegger. Because they had to bootleg me some Cherry Coke Zero. Because <laughs> apparently they can't get it in Missouri, and women can't have bare arms in the legislature. But that's a whole special Missouri thing. You can bear arms, but you can't bear arms. <laughs> yep, exactly. Um, so the captain, the bootlegger. Um, um, ghosted. Money Penny, uh, Creepy Crawl Space Girl, um, the, the the Mothman mistress or the Moth mistresses, the Moth mistresses, the philosoph philosophaster, philosopher, the Jet, um, Apple Pie, yeah, yeah, I think that's it. I think so. We're gonna make a list at some point. Everyone, and we'll, even, we'll even check it twice. Yeah, um, but that won't be until Christmas. So, but everyone is nice. So yes, you are all amazing, and of course. You do not have to be a patron to enjoy our show, but we do hope that if you enjoy our show, you will tell other people about it and share the enjoyment, enjoyment, and the love. All right, and thanks if we are a little bit out of sorts today. I I have intense heartburn. I didn't sleep well. Dr. Ed's over-caffeinated. We're just a mess, friends. But we wanted to make sure that we brought you an exciting and thrilling episode. Yes. So as always, we appreciate you tuning in and listening, and we'll see you in two weeks for some new spooky adventure. Bye. Bye, folks. Say spooky. Bye.